You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Uh, glad to be here for episode 123, 123. That's kind of a simple as a weird that. number. Simple as mm. that. Easy, easy as one, two, three. There it is. Um, instead, and, instead, of the, instead of the Jackson 5, y'all have got the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast 3. Mm. Uh, it just rolls right off the tongue. I'm yes. telling you. <laughs> Well, and it's it's, it's still, perfect for polygamy episode number number two. It's easy as one, mm, two, three. Like you have, to, yeah, on, you have. Are we still on that? <laughs> yes, we're 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 definite. We're still there, bro. It's you easy have to realize as one, two, three. Or I'm four, not a five. I'm not a I'm not a fatalist, but my dad would like give instructions to me in Hebrew as a kid. Like instead of clean your room, it was kaluma asakim to better yomvi yomo. And uh, so here we are talking about weird Old Testament stuff on episode. And it's one, affected two, three. him, y'all. We know. Like, it's <laughs> oh my gosh, you just pulled a little brother on me. Nathan, we get it. You had a weird childhood. Somehow, by the grace of God, you made it. <laughs> oh my gosh, you and my brother can never have lunch, Matt. Oh gosh. Anyway, Gandalf, we cut you off. You were given instructions. Well, the only instruction I want to give, instead of at the end of the podcast, I'll give it here at the beginning. Listener, if you, for whatever reason, are listening to the second episode on polygamy and have stuck with us, uh, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. That way you receive a notification every Tuesday morning. And who knows what we're going to talk about. We may talk about uh, how wonderful the Isaac and Rebecca story is, or we may be talking about polygamy. You never know. It's <laughs> it's what it's whatever's in the Bible. It's not our fault. <laughs> mm. And also, if you'd like to send us comments, questions, criticisms, guidance, whatever it may be, we love receiving messages from you guys at our website, betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com, which recently received a huge makeover, if you want to check that out. Just want mm. to plug my web development skills there. Uh, just go ahead and check out check out our website. For I uh, do read the memos. Mm. And listener, right. you may be wondering, like after we've been in chapter 24, talking about this wonderful expedition exposition about the sovereign care of God in providing a fulfillment of the promise, not in just giving Abraham a son, but giving him a daughter-in-law. How do you move from the sovereignty of God to concubinage? Well, the answer is, is because the Bible does. And because it transitions, we transition. So that's that's why the Bible is never boring. It is never boring. So well, I, we're going to continue to talk a little more about it. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it is interesting to your point. And I, I, I want to go from reading this to the text. I mean, I want to go from this to reading the text. Right after it acknowledges, um, let's read 7 through 11. I know you read them last week, but let's read 7 through mm -hmm. 11 again, because right after acknowledging Abraham's other wife and his concubines, plural, and the children that came from that, the very next thing we have is a rather serious but positively glowing assessment of his life in the biblical text, like it's the very next thing. And you're left. You're left with a oh, but hey, what about? But no, this is these are the next verses. Y'all mind if I read today? 
Go for it. Hey, before you do, can I say something really quick there? Look at verse six, that he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Uh, That's interesting to me. It's like, Isaac, you've got to stay and follow God into this new land. But you you kids, you can go home. That's okay. That's interesting because Abraham's from the east. Yeah, you guys go back there. You're not part of the promised land. That's right. (laughs) So anyway, 7 through 11, ESV. And so instead instead of wise men coming from the east with gifts, it's sons of Abraham being sent to the east with gifts. Mm. So, uh, ooh, yeah, I like that. Mm, something to think about. Um, anyway, Genesis 25, 7 through 11, and as always, from the English Standard Version. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roi. Matt, I know this; these verses don't have anything to do with the concubine stuff we talked about last time, but how do we continue right. that discussion in light of these verses? Uh, Nathan, is those verses aren't really controversial at all, that Abraham lived 175 years, lived to a good old age, and... Uh, you know, his sons bury him and you have this whole transfer of the blessing. Verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And it's just important for us because as modern people, we're still, if we're reading Genesis 25, we're we're like uh, Gandalf last week. I'm sorry. I heard everything you said, but then a concubine was just like screaming in the background. And I'm, st- it's important I'm still to singing see. the Mulan sound- soundtrack in my head. <laughs> That's right. And it's the important thing to see is that God doesn't pause and freak out about it. He just continues to bless Abraham's life. So I think there is a tendency as modern people to do a couple of things is number one, to judge ancient people and their cultural norms by modern standards. That is a huge, huge thing. Always on the assumption, number, always on the assumption that they're terrible for getting whatever it is wrong. That's right. And but then number two, it's judging even biblical characters by their lowest moments and giving an assessment of the man or the woman based on a moment rather than a lifetime of faith. And man, God is just He's such a righteous judge, y'all. And he's so gracious. And it's just so strange to me how often we feel like we need to provide a judgment. And it's 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 that dangerous thing that we talked about last week that from numbers, even though God, yeah, we never yeah, we never came back to that. That's right. Even though God in the whole Miriam and Aaron, this is the brother and sister of Moses. Uh, even though Miriam and Aaron uh have no trouble apparently speaking out against Moses. They stop and pause, but has God spoken out against this issue against Moses? And if God hasn't, then why are we doing that? And listener, just to remind you, if you're just landing in on this episode, I'll sum, sum up numbers 12, a one through nine for you. And I would encourage you to read it. It's a fascinating passage where Miriam and Aaron confront Moses because of his Cushite wife. Now, Jewish tradition, most of 
Jewish tradition. We looked at last week and talked about Josephus and Philo believed that this Cushite wife came from Moses's prior life in Egypt and that later Moses also married a Midianite wife, uh, Zipporah. So uh, there are some other, of course, there's no historical biblical uh, issue out there that there's not a multiplicity of opinions, but this seems to be the majority view amongst ancient Jewish people that Moses was at least a bigamist, if not a polygamist. And as the moderns were like, no, it can't be. No, not Moses. He's certainly not a polygamist. And I don't even think here that Miriam and Aaron well, are pushing I, back I, against the polygamy thing. I think I, they're pushing back here. It's because I, that she's the a Kushite foreigner. thing. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a foreigner here. But I'm I'm not bringing up is, anything. I don't want to get leprosy. Th- that's <laughs> right, because that's what happens to Miriam. God takes it so seriously that he just said, "Hey, listen, I speak to Moses face to face. Why were you not afraid to, you know, rip on him?" Why were you not afraid? And Miriam is disciplined with leprosy for a time. I mean, how does that story hit you, Gandalf? It's it's just one of those things where it's like every so often you read the Bible, and then if you if you aren't reading it carefully or you're just casually reading it, like it just seems like God will flip out sometimes and just afflict somebody, and you don't really think about. It. You're like, man, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Right. But it, it, it's it's so interesting. What, what did the kids like, We have to room say? in our wheelhouse. We have room in our wheelhouse to say, oh, well, of course God gave them leprosy because they sinned and married somebody they weren't supposed to. But that's not the story. No, it's the not. The people it's that not, were judged were the ones who were judging the other people who had done something. It's crazy. What, what did the kids used to say? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, yes. I'm pretty sure it's one of the commandments. Saying something, saying something against Moses, looking a little ashy, bro. (laughs) Well, I think this is the tendency though, going back to Gandalf's point last week of as modern people read the Bible, they take tremendous offense when we read about Moses being a bigamist or polygamist, Abraham having concubines of all things, not just multiple wives concubines and then the granddaddy go-to of all of it is solomon's 700 wives and 300 concubines well yeah and and before we go to solomon let's go to his dad david you know that's um, right david has some low moments i mean Bathsheba's the easy Mm -hmm. to go after thing and the whole thing with uriah but it's interesting you know david never really goes back out to battle in his previous capacity after that incident and the last time he Mm -hmm. does go out to battle ironically He's almost slain by a giant. Right. Um, and then he has the whole um, census episode, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, David had some low moments. Number mm-hmm. two, we tend to attack the low moments that are most upsetting to us, regardless of how upsetting anything was to God. In other words, we That's go after his word. we go after his sexual sin because we live in a highly sexualized culture. We don't even blink. In fact, you get to the God's response to David's census, and that becomes one of those weird Old Testament stories for people to make sense of. You see what I'm saying? Right. Mm. Uh, and then three, um, none of these things prevents God from calling David a man after his own heart. Mm. It's amazing, uh, and that that lays good groundwork for talking about Solomon. Um, yeah. because so- Solomon, 
Uh, we know where we're going with the 700 wives and 300 concubines. This does not get his stuff, you know, like, so in the modern discussion, this comes out uh, in the, hey, should we play this group's song in our worship? Or should we take out this song from the hymnal because the person who wrote it did this or believed this? Man, Solomon is the author behind some biblical books. Chew on that for a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank, what, what the it, Bible wasn't curated by Twitter. So this, uh, <laughs> you've had, he so he wrote some Psalms, wrote presumably the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. Like that's a chunk, man. In fact, that's, that's a chunk. It's a huge chunk of it's it's probably the majority of wisdom literature. Uh or getting close to it. There's a, there's a huge chunk of literature there. Um yeah, I mean that's 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 a big chunk. Um, but, but again, we go to, and he had, this is also the guy who put, and, but I also think it's interesting with Solomon. I I love the Bible. Uh, the Bible can use the person's life to make a point without entirely dismissing the person. So I, I do believe, you know, we have two big presentation of Solomon's life. One is in the pre-exilic, uh, King's account, and one is in the post-exilic Chronicles account, right? Solomon's life and kings shows how you get from a united kingdom and the king who wanted to build the temple to being on a crash course for the nation being divided, idolatrous, and on its way to exile. But mm. if you read the Chronicles account, it, it includes a lot of the good things, too, that Solomon got right. Uh, because right. the point the point is not God's rejection of Solomon. The point is God's uh, rejection of the dangers of idolatry. In fact, you you pointed out right before we recorded about Nehemiah's appeal to Solomon in Nehemiah 13, right? Right. Uh, why don't you yeah. that? So if you've ever looked at the, the Nehemiah story, uh, Nehemiah, you probably remember the story of rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah is a wonderful story of how after Ezra and others have come in and started to rebuild the city and the temple, uh, Nehemiah comes in and rebuilds the wall. Well, just after they get the wall rebuilt and reinstitute temple worship and all of the practices and everything, it's like a matter of a few years that they fall back into their old ways of marrying foreign women and bringing in idolatry to the city. And Nehemiah comes back in town and he is like thoroughly ticked off that the priests are doing this. In fact, he says some pretty like hardcore things <laughs> of what he what he did when he comes back in town and he finds that the people are doing this. This is after they've rebuilt the wall and everything. This is how he confronts the people. It says, um, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Mm, how about that? And made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. So the emphasis there is not on polygamy itself, but it's the dangers of marrying foreign women and and bringing idolatry into the household here. It's just, that's a very different lens that we view the whole 700 wives and 300 concubines. They looked at that. We see sexual excess from 21st century. They looked at it and saw, man, 
it swung the door wide open for idolatry. Yeah, and, and that's even in Kings, that's part of the point because it goes from talking about um marrying these, you know, having these wives and concubines to building shrines and altars for them on the high places. The irony is the same Solomon who built the one temple for the one true God also ends up building lots of mini temples for all the gods of his wives and concubines. Um, right. That's 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 what it's capturing because in the very next chapter, like you what it's kind of the Eden thing, right? Adam and Eve just cheated on their diet. What could go wrong from that? And then brother kills brother in the next chapter. You look at Solomon's life and the chapter after Solomon's life, Jeroboam has the northern tribes worshiping two golden calves saying, behold the gods who brought you out of Egypt. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's it's just one of those things, right? It's just human nature where it's like, it's so easy to like judge people of the past because you weren't there, you weren't living in the time that they lived and they may, you maybe you know, we have more, we have different sensibilities than people did in the past. And it's just so easy to sit there like on a moral high ground, you know, mm. like we, we, we do not critically reflect on being people of our time, but we automatically judge them for being people of their time. Mm. Mm. It's, it's so easy to be critical against those who cannot speak a judgment towards us because they're dead. Yep. Um, so it's a one-sided argument. I remember in in seminary, I had uh, Jim Hamilton for biblical theology at Southern Baptist Seminary, and one of the things he pointed out in talking about the life of Solomon and his wives and his court, he said, look, we know it's wrong. We know it's not God's design. He said, I'm just telling you, if you were a member of the royal court or you you know, were just a faithful citizen of Israel during those days, it would not offend you as it does today. In fact, you might swell in pride to see how prosperous your king is that he could support all of these wives. Now, that is not a modern way of thinking about this at all. Yeah, because for, for them, because we, we didn't we didn't make that point explicitly in the in the last episode, I believe. Uh, for mm-hmm. them, for them, wives, concubines, this was not strictly sexual conquest. You had obligations to support these women and to, and to how yeah. you care for them. And how you care for any children that come by them. That's right. And so I think, though, it's easy. Like, this is one of those go-to. Nathan, I'm sure you've gotten these questions before. Pastor, man, that Solomon guy. Mm. Well, 700 I, I, wives, 300 concubines. Then what were you going to say? Well, I, I've actually been. Um, you, Our friendship has actually made me think more about this because we early... Early in our deeper dive Bible talks, we were talking about Samson. You probably remember this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I talked about Sa- Samson being this. I, I, th- I even referred to a sermon I'd preached on Samson, the tragic triumph. He, in a sense, he fulfilled God's plan for his life, but it came at a care- terrible cost but, and because of Samson's character failures, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Matt, essentially, these were not his words because Matt is gracious, gracious Gandalf. But Matt essentially said, "Man, if you're going to view Samson like that, you're not you're not preaching my funeral." Um, <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt was like, "Man, isn't it interesting what Hebrews 11 says about Samson?" I don't have time to brag about how proud of this dude I am. You yeah, know what I'm saying? It, like so that the Bible remembers Samson far more graciously than I was remembering him in the moment, and it's it's easy. Matt, you were making a, a point about Solomon's sexuality. Right. Uh, I, I think it. I think it's highly illustrative of how we handle this. 
Go ahead. So we look at Solomon's, you know, we see 700 wives and 300 concubines, or we see concubines, plural, of Abraham, and it doesn't even delineate, is this ABC 1, 2, 3, or 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? Like, how many women are we talking about here? Uh, and, and, and we easy. think these guys are insatiable. That's what we think. Right. It, man, they just can't, they, they just can't say no. And they're just, see all these women as conquest and stuff like that. But that is not entirely the best way of viewing marriage or concubinage in the ancient world, as Nathan has already pointed out to us. And our tendency to judge only from our vantage point. Like, I want you to think about this, the, 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 the sexual sin of our generation, or at least one of them. Think about the stain of pornography on our culture and society worldwide. But not only that, think about it from a, a man's perspective or a woman's perspective that is consuming pornography. With the click of a mouse, you have the potential of viewing way more women than Solomon ever did in his whole lifetime in less than an hour. And not only that, Solomon cared for his wives and concubines and provided for them. Pornography is all exploitation. Mm. It is all exploitation. It feeds and encourages and sustains the sex slave industry uh, on uh, subjugation of women and children around the world. And it's like, remarkable to hear. I mean, you have uh, in, in recent years, you've had um, several former uh, performers from that industry, like try to make great strides to have their material taken down and kind of pull back the curtain from what from what that's like. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it is not it is not man. It is it is presented as a fantasy. The reality of it is a nightmare. Um, it's a it's a nightmare. And I just feel like when we look at Solomon, and I'm not endorsing 700 wives and 300 concubines, but remember, these are women he cared for, provided for, took care of their children. I think if Solomon had a view into the, the, the modern sex sin of uh, sexual excess in the 21st century, I think we probably would have gotten at least one, two, or three chapters in the Proverbs dedicated to just that. I, I just, mm -hmm. if he could speak forward, it probably would be there. Uh, so I, I think it's just one of those reminders that it's so easy to judge people in the past. And can I say one more thing about that? Um, Go for it. I know, I know I've talked a lot here. Um, if I it's about Samson, also, I'm with you. <laughs> I think this is also another sin of the present era is, is that moral posturing over previous generations. And I do not think it is a good idea to celebrate the sins of our fathers because that's wrong. I think we should lament the sins of our fathers. Like that's what the book of lamentations ultimately is. That's what Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter nine is. It's, it's a lament over the sins, but neither of those men sever themselves from their fathers and their mothers. Because here's what's important. We don't, like, we are the branches off of this tree. Mm. Like, the tree holds us. This is Romans 11. Don't get all judgy on the Israelites and their fathers. Because, listen, 
it is that trunk and that tree that holds you. Uh, so it, it's just a dead end road. It is a dead end road to speak evil against previous generations. And we should be thinking very carefully about this whole uh, Moses, Abraham, not, not Moses and Abraham, but Moses, Aaron, and Miriam story. Mm. So, so, so long story short, it's okay for me to still be a fan of Abraham. <laughs> That's right. There and it's go. not, oh, it's just okay. It is okay to celebrate their lives because we're not going to remember them for a moment dissected in the 21st century. We're, we're going to remember them because God said, I'm going to make your name great. Hmm. Here, here. Uh, G man, what you got on that? Have we have we resolved that? Does it remain a does it remain a weird issue for you? I'm just I'm just curious as the non pastor of the group, how does that land? Uh, I think it lands pretty good. It's just you know we talked about it last episode how there's like just these questions that go often from childhood that often go unresolved, and this is one of them, right? This is a big one. It's like okay, well, Abraham had all these concubines. Solomon had all these concubines, they had multiple wives, they do all these things that in, you know, our modern culture, we, we you know, we, we try to not do. Mm. But I, I really like Matt's perspective here. I like the idea of not judging people when God didn't judge them, right? Like this, this passage in 25, it may, like, the fact that it mentions concubines is only as a way to go through a genealogy, basically. Right. Mm. Yeah. Like it's only, it's only, it, it only serves as to get to another genealogy, which we've talked about how important those are. Right. It, mm. it, it makes no, it doesn't even stop for a second on it. It just keeps on going. It's descriptive, and the, not prescriptive. By the way, to your point, how interesting that Ishmael gets a genealogy. He gets mm. a, he gets a totally dose formula. But uh, this is, I mean, uh, this is, this is not my point. This point gets made routinely. Um, we can talk about progressive revelation, but here's the truth of it. Even if you go all the way to the New Testament and beyond the New Testament, uh, whatever whatever anyone got wrong, there's only one person ever who ever got it completely right. In other words, you won't you won't find a perfect moment in church history before Jesus, but you also won't find a perfect moment in church history after Jesus either. Jesus is the perfection. He is the cornerstone on which all of it hinges. Um, and, uh, my good friend, Matt Powell once told me, uh, you can tell how much you love someone and how you respond to negative news about them. If you find yourself delighting in negative news, you probably don't have a heart for that person. If you find yourself not wanting to believe or lamenting bad news about them, it's because you love them. Um, mm -hmm. and I know this, God loves Abraham and, uh, Oh dude, you know, what a word. Uh, and and he sure seems to love a lot of those associated with him. Hmm. So Matt yeah, Matt Powell teaching me land. Matt Powell teaching me how to read the Old Testament. There's hope for me yet, and I may still get to speak at Matt's funeral if uh, I don't know who out I don't I don't know who outlives who, but this is me giving him permission to speak at mine uh, if I precede him to glory. So. Mm. Mm -mm. Father I, I, Abraham do you think as a, had many as sons. As a closing boom, boom. comment on the whole like concubines and and extra wives and stuff like that, I'm sure everybody thinks and you know a it's a bad idea. But I think if we could talk to Ishmael or we could talk to Solomon today about uh, 
all of this to say, yeah, it's a bad idea. But you know what? If it hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. So it's amazing what God does. It's almost through. like the it's almost like the theme of it's almost like the theme of Genesis is like even what people could possibly intend for evil, God can work for good. Amen. Look what at a me good being, place to end. Look, look at me being facetious from the Joseph narrative. Okay. <laughs> but you know what's not facetious? And Hey-o. that's my urge to you, listener, to subscribe to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, because we will be back next Tuesday discussing another 30 minutes of the biblical narrative. So whatever the positive interaction on your device looks like, be it a heart, a checkbox, smiley face, A+, whatever that is, make sure that you are getting a notification every Tuesday morning and helping us spread the podcast farther by telling the algorithm that this is worthwhile content. And, so, when, and until when, then, when you listen in the future, right? when you listen in the future, don't judge our podcast. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Yeah. Well, until then, you guys have a great week. See you next time. Shalom. A, B, C. Easy as one, two, three.